Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of May 1st to May 3rd. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So, it's been quite a quite a week in the world of box office news with a metaphorical war brewing between Universal and exhibitors. Uh, While I had been hoping to take a look at Deadline's biggest bombs of last year, as well as the most profitable small films, I'll definitely need to cover the AMC and Universal news this week. Um, On top of that, uh, I also wanted to look at some uh, markets that were opening up theaters again uh, after the pandemic, uh, as well as some news about Oscar movies and qualifications. So we'll do the Deadline stuff next week. Uh, But first, the AMC Universal feud. Grab yourself some popcorn and butter and a little bit of salt because this gets pretty spicy. So taking a step back, uh, looking at the past few episodes, we've covered the idea of what a a theatrical window is. Basically, it's the time period between when the movie comes out in theaters and when it's available for rent on digital streaming services like iTunes or Amazon. Currently, the window is about 90 days or three months on average. Uh, this represents a period of exclusivity that exhibitors like AMC, Regal, um, you know, uh, have, they, that they have to sew these films, uh, which in a more normal situation would drive foot traffic to them and allow them to capture more revenue through concession sales, popcorns and soda. Obviously, this is not normal times, and so a few weeks ago, Universal released Trolls World Tour on VOD for $20 rental for 48 hours hour period. Technically, this isn't just VOD, this is PVOD, or Premium Video On Demand. The idea of PVOD is basically releasing movies on streaming within within that three-month theatrical window. Uh, historically, it's been on the fringes of you know seriously being implemented. There have been a few companies over the past decade or so, such as Prima or Red Carpet or Screening Room, that do have setups um, to to help you be able to do that, but you know you need to install a custom home theater situation that costs tens of thousands of dollars, um, and you still need to pay a rental fee for between five hundred and five thousand dollars in order to access the films. You know, definitely not something for mass market consumption. Uh, in 2011, actually, Universal had tried PVOD for Comcast subscribers with the Eddie Murphy comedy film Tower Heist only three weeks after coming to theaters. Uh, but due to pressure from exhibitors, they backed down from those plans. More on this in a moment. Uh, about 2017, there were more talks uh, within the industry regarding maybe sorting the the theatrical window a little bit further than than three months. Or, but you know. Um, Increased movie attendance in 2018, as well as the Disney Fox acquisition and the AT&T Warner merger, um, those talks were kind of put on hold. So, digging into the numbers from Trolls World Tour for the past couple of weeks, the report is that uh, VOD, PVOD numbers for Trolls World Tour has exceeded $100 million in the past three weeks. This looks like, you know, it's just domestic numbers. Um, and in comparison, they made $150 million on the first Trolls World Trolls movie, uh, which lasted over 21 weeks, about five months, uh, from November 2016 to March 2017. Um, now, that $150 million from the first Trolls movie uh, is, you know, gross value. Um, so, you know, the rentals, um, you know, the, the distributor exhibitor split we've talked about before, you know, is about 50% going to the, the movie theaters and 50% going to Universal. Half of $150 million is about $75 million. Um, comparatively, the estimated share that uh, Universal is getting from, you know, the iTunes and the Amazon on average works out to about 80% of gross revenue that they get to keep. 
Um, so, you know, the $100 million over the last few weeks works out to about $80 million for Trolls World Tour. Thus, they're claiming basically that PVOD has been more profitable for Universal than the traditional uh, theatrical window play. Um, I don't know if profitable is the correct word here. Um, you know, the cost of advertising as well as the cost of production, um, plus the fact that they're not going to be getting even more, um, you know, uh, VOD number. If you look at you know if you look at the numbers for what the 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 DVD and the Blu-ray sales domestically were, um, you know the first Tolls movie made another seventy million dollars. Um, so you know is Universal going to get another seventy million dollars worth of um, VOD on top of the hundred million that they've made so far, or hundred million gross? So eight, I guess eighty million. Are they going to make another seventy million you know gross um, off of that? Um, who knows? Um, I, I personally don't think so, but in any case, um, obviously with the pandemic going on, a lot of studios are pushing their films to VOD. I guess technically PVOD. Um, you know, for example, Universal did push out uh, some films that that came out earlier this year. Um, within that three month period, we have The Invisible Man, The Hunt, Emma, and Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, They've made $60 million gross on VOD from them, about $48 million net. Um, in comparison, those films made $96 million while in the box office or, you know, taking the 50% rev share, um, $48 million. So just about even between what they made in the box office for however many weeks they were in there plus versus however long it's been since they've been out on VOD. Um, Universal is following Trolls Up with the comedy King of Staten Island coming out later this year on June 19th, directed PVOD. And Warner Brothers actually is also testing this out with their animated film Scoob coming out next week on May 15th to PVOD. Uh, Disney also pushed Artemis Fowl straight to streaming Disney Plus platform, though I don't think that was going to be successful in the box office anyway. Um, and even yesterday on May the 4th, um, you know, Star Wars Day, Rise of Skywalker came out two months earlier to streaming ahead of what was expected by the way i'm super excited for the announced taika waititi star wars film but that's neither here nor there until we actually see it get made for this podcast so moving on um you know, what really sparked the flame of this you know so-called war were the comments of jeff shell head of nbc universal uh, and he said and i quote the results of Trolls World Tour has exceeded our expectations and demonstrated the viability of PVOD. As soon as theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. End quote. So this was April 28th, last Tuesday, in the Wall Street Journal article. Um, pretty much the same day, AMC, um, the largest exhibitor in the, in the world, um, AMC CEO Adam Aaron um, wrote a letter to Universal Studios chairman Donna Langley. I won't read the whole thing, but the important bit is that in response to Sell's comments, and again, I quote, Going forward, AMC will not license any Universal movies in any of our 1,000 theaters globally on these terms. This policy affects any and all Universal movies per se, goes into effect today and as our theaters reopen, and is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. Incidentally, this policy is not aimed solely at Universal out of peak or to be punitive in any way. It also extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons current windowing practices, absent good faith negotiations between us, so that as they as distributor and we as exhibitor both benefit and neither are hurt from such changes. End quote. Damn. 
Those are some fighting words. AMC is not planning on not showing Universal films, would include Fast and the Furious, Jurassic World, Minions, as well as the Bond films internationally. You know, Universal makes up 17 to 20% of the total box office revenue on any given year. Um, so that'd be a huge hit to AMC to not do this. But, you know, this tactic has worked for them in the past where they threatened, again, for Tower Heist in the past um, to not show the film in theaters if they were going to put it out on PVOD, you know, within that theatrical window. Um, you know, basically, again, for the follow up, basically within the same day, Universal responded with a statement saying, quote, we absolutely believe in the theatrical experience and have made no statement to the contrary. As we stated earlier, going forward, we expect to see to release future films directly to theaters as well as PVOD when that distribution outlets make sense, end quote. Uh, some have read this as moving back from that earlier statement and give in their recent earnings call, you know, Comcast, NBC, Universal. They didn't seem quite so gung-ho about this plan to put things out on PVOD. But personally, I'm not convinced uh, that they're abandoning this entirely for a number of reasons I'll get into in a little bit. Um, anyways, on top of AMC piling into Universal, uh, NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, as well as their European counterparts, UNIC, the International Union of Cinemas, made statements calling out Universal for their plans to go direct to PVOD. Uh, Cineworld, the parent company of Regal Cinemas, also joined with AMC a couple days later, uh, saying, quote, Today we t make it clear again that we will not be showing movies that fail to respect the windows as it does not make any economic sense for us. End quote. All right, let's take a step back. So a lot of commenters online are saying that cinemas are dead, everything's moved to VOD, um, time is now, and you know the movie theater experience is a dinosaur. Personally, I don't quite think the math works out for distributors to do that just yet. Um, to illustrate this, let's look at the numbers for How to Train Your Dragons 3, another one of Universal's animated films of last year that was one of the top most profitable films last year. So gross worldwide box office revenue was 521 million, which, you know, after the exhibitor-distributor split, works out to about 218 million. Um, in China and in international theaters, the distributor split is more in favor of the exhibitor and less so for the distributor. So 218 million dollars. Um, VOD numbers and home entertainment worked out to about $80 million, and the TV rights worked out to $150 million. So total revenue uh, worked out to, call it $450, $448 million for Universal, uh, with total profit, total costs of $318 million. This is about $130 million for production, $110 for print advertising, $25 million for home marketing and some other costs. Um, I'm not going to get into here. I have another episode on that. Um, you know, total profit ended up being about $130 million. Um, you know, $448 minus $318. Now, the thing is, with Trolls World Tour, what you're seeing is that that $448 million, right now it's primarily in the box office and some small portion going from home video and TV and, you know, another fairly significant portion from uh, TV rights. What's happening is that the number for gross box office and net box office ends up being sifted over to the VOD home entertainment numbers. Let's be generous and say that 50% of the revenue that they would get from box office sales, you know, that 200, at $218 million converts over to VOD sales, 50%. So that works out to total revenue ends up being $339 million instead of $448. Um, again, assuming you keep the same original VOD numbers on top of the ones that sift over from box office to VOD and TV rights numbers. 
Um, if you take out home marketing because you're only doing one wave of marketing and not two, uh, total profit ends up being only about $45 million versus the earlier $130 million. And this is the key part here, right? Movies were only able to make as much money for distributors as they do because they're able to double dip with both the theatrical release as well as the home video release. I'd be interested to see next year when Deadline does their numbers on what total VOD sales for Trolls World Tour end up being relative to the first and if total revenue worked out for Universal. Um, the other thing that a lot of people don't really talk about is the fact that strong box office numbers, you know, they help distributors negotiate higher deals for TV rights, which if you notice, again, 218 box office, 80 million uh, VOD, 150 million for TV rights. Um, you know, TV rights is the second source of revenue for these movies, not not even the, the third one. So, um, you know, this is a bit of speculation on my part, but it makes sense. You know, if you think about it, there's a reason that these films keep on saying we're the number one film in America. Um, we made this much money. Like, there's a whole reason there's this circuit of looking at these numbers. It's not just for my idle curiosity. Um, if, you know, it, it makes sense if a film, let's say you had one film that made a few hundred million dollars at the box office and another film, same genre, same topic, but it made only $150 million. If I were Netflix or Hulu, I'd be much more inclined to pay the distributor more to get the rights to stream the $300 million movie versus the $150 movie. Um, that just makes sense. You know, there's, there's clearly more demand and interest in the film that more people went to see in theaters. And without these comparable numbers, I wouldn't be surprised if Universal had a harder time making as much money back on the film by not being able to negotiate higher TV rights. Um, in fact, if you, and, you know, if you look at the films actually um, off of, you know, box office revenue alone against the production and the marketing costs, most of Universal's film last year that were in the top 25 most profitable were actually not profitable until the TV rights came into play. Uh, How to Train Your Dragons made 280 at the box office, but cost 240 million to make in market. Hobbs and Saw made 293 at the box office, but cost 340 million to to make and, and produce. Um, it may be a thing that you know Universal in general is just not as enamored with box office revenues. Uh, for the bottom line, as other studios are, and that might be why they're pushing for this. You know, Disney. Um, you know, they had eight films in the top twenty-five last year. All of their films made back their production cost through the total rev- worldwide box office. Sony was able to be profitable off of box office numbers alone, uh, and Warner had Joker in its chapter two, and Lionsgate had John Wick chapter three and Knives Out. In fact, there's actually another reason I think Universal might be so gung ho about this PVOD experiment. Their parent company is Comcast. And, you know, they have been for about a decade. And yeah, AT&T owns Warner Brothers, but, you know, that's only been for the last two years. So they're still, you know, integrating and getting it all set up. Comcast is definitely in a much more better position to benefit from consumers going to PVOD. Think about it. If you're streaming content over the internet or whatever, they're the ones who are benefiting from that. They have, you know, the system set up Xfinity to be able to rent movies um, at home, you know, versus the theatrical experience. In fact, Jeff Schell, the head of NBC University, Universal came to lead Universal from the Comcast side of things. So, you know, he's not from the movies, he's from the Comcast side. Um, it just makes sense why he's been so gung-ho over the past several years about shortening the theatrical window. I think with everything going on in the world, exhibitors are aware that, you know, some things are going to be a little bit weird and have to go direct to home instead of going to theater. You know, exceptional circumstances require unique solutions. The real question is if post-pandemic, Will it be business as usual or will the market as a whole have shifted toward VOD first? Personally, I don't think so. And I definitely personally don't hope so. I mean, you know, 
first off, we have the biggest names in film creation, you know, the Spielbergs, the Nolans, the Tarantinos. They love the movie theater experience. They And they're going to fight to keep that experience, be it, you know, signing a deal with the distributors to, if we make this movie with you, you have to guarantee that there's a theatrical window experience. I wouldn't be put it past them to do that. Um, and, you know, there are, are some filmmakers who just embrace, you know, putting things out on digital first. But those that do, you know, Martin Scorsese is probably the best example of this. He's had a long career in film. And then he started, you know, working with Netflix to make, you know, The Irishman. Uh, and he has another film coming out. Those films are going to be very expensive. You know, Irishman cost $165 million to make. And this new film is planned to make cost over $200 million. Um you know, without a theatrical release, it's going to be very hard for these distribution companies to make up that difference through VOD sales um, or, you know, signing it to a streaming plat- platform and hoping that and that streaming platform it makes economic sense for them that the number of subscriptions are going to bring in. $200 million is a lot of money to bring in um, f- over $15 Netflix subscriptions or, you know, even $20 VOD rentals. That's going to be a lot. Um in addition, you know, there's there's a there's a report out showing that film piracy has actually increased over the course of the pandemic by over forty percent, and in some countries like Italy and India, it's gone up over sixty percent. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if a VOD first world piracy becomes more of an issue because you know, at least with at least with uh releases here in the in 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 the with a theatrical window, you know. The only version you're going to get, unless something leaks from internally, um, will be you know people sneaking in the camera to the, to the theaters and filming and putting on 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 you know the interwebs to 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 be able to watch. If you have a VOD first day, you know it's going to be a lot more likely that people will find a high quality version of it. Like piracy right now, waits until those those DVD releases to be, get the best quality film that to to rip and put on torrents. There's a reason, you know, if something comes out in the States on Netflix or whatever, it generally is signed off to not do very well abroad, and especially other countries where piracy, like China, is a lot more of an issue. Now, you know, to look at the other side, I could see a world where the theatrical window does shrink, and in terms of, you know, where we do see movies come out to VOD within the three-month window, even a month or two months in, or even less, even day and date when it comes out. But if that's to happen, the exhibitor-distributor splits are going to have to be renegotiated. Currently, it's a 50-50 split domestically for a six-month window. You know, if it if the if the theatrical window shrinks down, I could see maybe something like a 75-25 split for a three-month window, or you know, a 90-10 split for a three-week window. Uh, the other way I see PVOD becoming more commonplace is if budgets of films shrink accordingly. So, you know, How to Train Your Dragon, again, they made $130 million. They cost them $130 million to produce the film. You know, if that film was made instead for $70 million, that's an extra $60 million that they'd have to, that they wouldn't have to make up uh, in VOD. And so it makes sense for them to put it out on PVOD directly because it's not necessary to double dip on a film with both the theatrical and VOD release in order to make it profitable. Um, Of course, the question there is that does that make it that consumers see films of as high quality if it doesn't come out in theaters. If Trolls World Tour, you know, Trolls, the third Trolls, Trolls movie comes out directed VOD, will people be as inclined to buy the soundtrack? Will they be inclined to go out and buy the toys? You know, that Surly Universal probably had deals with, with why they were so eager to get this out there. You know, there's a lot of, you know, other ancillary revenue streams. And if the film quality isn't seen as good because it comes out on home to the VOD, that could t- change the calculus on the back end as well. So yeah, 
Anyway, that's where we stand with the AMC Universal beef. Uh, we'll see where it continues in, in a few months' time when, when things pick up again. Uh, in the more immediate future, there are news about theaters reopening. Um, so, you know, we'll just go through a couple of markets. Um, you know, there have been a couple of movie theaters in Texas that have reopened this past weekend uh, with the restrictions on social distancing being lifted there. Um, that said, the biggest franchises, AMC, Cinemark, Alamo Drafthouse, they're still closed because they've said they're going to stay closed until there are new movies to show in theaters. And with the first big movie of the summer not coming until July with Tenet, um, they're probably going to stay closed until then. Um, and that it's also interesting that when films, when these theaters are opening, these you know mom and pop theaters that own maybe five or ten chains across the state, uh, you know they have to do TSA screenings with temperature guns, plexiglass, social distancing, limited capacity. So yeah, um, that is uh, one, one one obstacle on the way to getting back to, to full capacity. Um, abroad, you know, Hong Kong uh, opened its theaters this past weekend. Um, actually, played Falls World Tour of all things. Um, but again, they they took the social distancing a lot more seriously early on. Uh, Norway plans on opening May seventh with a fifty person cap per screen. Uh, the Czech Republic is opening on May eleventh. Uh, China's film head of the film bureau said that the country is aiming for a June uh, reopening of the movie theaters. We'll see if that actually pans out, uh, if there's not a second wave over there. Uh, Germany and Australia are eyeing a July release, uh, hoping to catch uh, Warner Brothers' Tenet. Um, and Ireland is aiming for an August 10th release. Um, on the other hand, California's governor is saying that movie theaters are still months away from opening, probably into the fall. Um, Reuters has also released a couple polls saying that only one in four Americas, Americans are planning on returning to theaters when they open. And, you know, 40% will not go back to theaters until there was a vaccine in place. Um, so we're looking at like a 60% reduction in the total uh, box office capacity. That's pretty bad. Um, I'm still personally 50-50 on whether or not Tenet, Mulan, and Wonder Woman, who are like the three big films left at this point, um, will make their July and August release dates. Um, if New York and California and other big markets are not yet open, I could see Warner forcing no Christopher Nolan to push Tenet back for another release date further on in the year. Uh, speaking of films open in California, one small news I wanted to mention. So I run another podcast called Oscar's Death Race Podcast, where I watch every film nominated for an Oscar in a particular year. Last year was like 53 films. Um, in any case, there's some news out of the Academy. So traditionally, you need to have you ha need to have filmed, screened your film for one seven-day period or a week in the Los Angeles County in order to qualify for an Oscar. Uh, this is why you have limited release films, you know, even though the wide release like 1917 is in January across the country, it came out for a seven-day period starting Christmas Day in 2019 to qualify for the Oscars. Um, so because of all the social distancing in place, uh, the Academy has decided to put on hold um, the requirement that the film needs to run in L.A. to qualify for the Oscars. Uh, this only applies uh, if films were already having planning to run in theaters. They needed to have been planned to do that. It can't be like a digital-only release. Um, and you know, if they do, they still need to set up a screening with the Oscars member-only streaming site. Um, and and this, this limitation only extends while theaters are largely closed. Um, though when theaters do reopen, they'll expand the qualifying venues to not only LA, but also New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, and Atlanta as well. Um, just not necessarily box office related, but they merged the sound mixing and editing categories, um, which makes sense. I don't think anyone really could tell the difference what the between the two was. Well, some could, but most couldn't. 
Um, and they're also going to eliminate DVD screeners, which will make it interesting trying to track down some of the harder to watch films. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll mention when my box off my Oscar death rates podcast starts up again in this, in December this year. That'll be a really interesting year to cover um, the award season. In any case, that brings us to the end of this week's box office concept. As usual, no top five for films this week because there's nothing in theaters um, that's really worth discussing. So, you know, here's what I've been watching. I did finish up all of the David Fincher films, uh, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Gone Girl, and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Um, this is for my other podcast, Filmography and Focus, where I look at all of the films of a given director. That episode should hopefully be out by tomorrow or you know Thursday at the latest. David Fincher films are really hard to like watch in succession just because they're pretty depressing a lot of the time. So you know they're very excellently made. I can't deny that. But um, yeah, it's been taking me a while to write and, and edit that that episode together. I'm a little bit late, so apologies for that. But um, in any case, I did pick Steven Spielberg as the next director to watch. So hopefully that's a little bit more palatable. In any case, that wraps up this week's Watts. Uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts for me to cover or any tips on box office news, uh, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play as well. If you can leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podshades, that would be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes. Numbers used in this show come from leanumbers.com. Our intro and outro music comes from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. See you guys.